Join me this morning in the book of Titus, the little book of Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through, 10, 11 through 14. My prayer for Susie too. Susie has stepped in to um, uh, do Hudson's part tonight, so she's working diligently trying to get that part memorized. So I do pray for the play. Mary's a bit anxious about that. All right, Titus chapter 2. Titus is a little letter. I, Titus is one of my favorite letters. Titus is another one of those guys that Paul sent out to, um, to minister and to pastor a church. And he's a, it's a great blessing to read it through that. And Paul encourages the believers there in Titus chapter 2. He talks about the qualities of a sound church. And I, 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 I might have to, when we get done with Acts, I might go to Titus I don't think I've ever preached through Titus formally. Uh, he, and he writes to the church. I want to start in verse 1 of chapter 2, and we'll move on from there. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober and reverent and temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in their behavior, they're not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Uh, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, uh, great stuff here, guys. This is an amazing passage. Um, they teach the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers, to be good, to be obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be blasphemed. Um, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, uh, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Yeah, I think I'm going to do Titus next. Um, <clears throat> exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters as well-pleasing in all things and not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, Paul or Titus here gives a lot of instructions about how Christians are supposed to live. And now he's going to tell them, in chapter 3, he talks about the grace that we have, of the, the, the blessings we have of being the heirs of God's grace. How we're supposed to live. How we're supposed to make a difference in this world. And that's what grace should do in us. Grace should make all of us different. But verses 11 through 14, and you say, Roger, why are you preaching this at Christmas? I think we'll see that pretty clearly. So look specifically and I hope you have your, your app open or your Bible open or something open to this passage because it's such a powerful little, every word counts here. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. But the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Three key points in here. The title of the message is Grace, God's Gift. And we we use this at Christmas time because this is when Christ came. We talk about... We're talking about the Advent this year. We're observing the, this Advent season. 
And, and the, the Advent, of course, talks about two different events. And this passage talks about two, two different events. It talks about the Advent of Christ at his birth to bring salvation. But also, it also talks about how we should be looking forward to the next coming of Christ. When Christ comes back to earth to, to save the world, to, to, to judge the wicked, and to, and to bless us, and to, and to guide us. So the Advent is key here. And God's, God's grace in these verses is just overwhelming. And we take grace for granted. Um, I've been studying, I've been reading about grace a lot in my devotions. I've been in the book of Ephesians. I was in Galatians, and now I'm in Ephesians in my devotions. And this whole concept of what does God's grace do? Christmas is a season of many, many great words. We talk about love and joy and peace and goodwill, and the Advent reminds us of all these things are all words that are associated with Christians. I think there's a Christian word that we neglect, and that word at Christmas time is the word grace. Our Bible word is the Greek, our Bible word used is the Greek word charis. And charis is a beneficence, a favor, a gift. We define grace as God giving us what we do not deserve. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is a good time to reflect on the grace of God. Grace is a reflection of God's mercy. And the ultimate gift of grace was given on this day, on the day of the birth of His Son, who came to die for for us all. Today, let's reflect on that gift of grace and what it means. How do we respond to that gift of grace? Let's remember the grace of God at Christmas. And it is easy to get caught up with all that's going on. It's easy to get caught up with all the trappings. And as I said earlier, I love all the trappings. I love it. Um, we can finally put our tree up um, tomorrow, I think. Uh, the the house has been there. The house is already decorated except that. And I like all that. But I want us to really remember what this whole concept, I want us to remember that this is all about God's grace. Um, so look at three things. God's gift for salvation in verse 11. God's gift for sanctification in verses 12 and 13. And lastly, God's gift for instruction. What does God's word teach us from verse 14? So um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll delve into this little passage of Scripture. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I do pray for the carol service tonight. I pray that it might be a blessing. I pray that the right folks would be here for it. We might rejoice in the opportunity, Lord, and remember all that Christmas means. But, Lord, help us as we look this morning to remember that part of Christmas coming was a gift of grace. By the grace of God, we are who we are. By the grace of God, God sent His Son. By Your grace, He provided salvation. And by Your grace, He's coming back again. So I thank You for today. Lord, guide our hearts. Guide my words that they might be what the Holy Spirit would have us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin in verse 11. So what does salvation bring? Uh, Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, as we said, is the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn grace. If you could earn grace, it wouldn't be grace, really, would it? It would be a reward. It would be a paycheck. So we can't earn grace. All of mankind deserve destruction But God acted in grace. God is the God of all grace. His grace is reflected in what He does. And and in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 10, the appearance of grace was prophesied by the prophets. Even Even the Old Testament prophets knew that God was going to send His grace. They knew about it. They wrote about it. And they knew that grace was coming eventually. They knew God was going to send grace through His Messiah. So that's what grace is. 
grace is uh, uh, just that gift that we we don't deserve. But what's the first thing grace grace does? The first thing it says here that the grace of God brings salvation. What is salvation? What does he mean by salvation? Um, I heard one of my devotion I listened to this week. What does salvation mean? Are you saved from a sinking boat? Are you saved from a house on fire? Are you saved from a car crash? Well, all those are ways of being saved, aren't they? We save people, save lives. But this God, the next, what, what he's what, what what is being talked about here is that God, God brings salvation. Look at one of my favorite passages, one I've spent most of this week on in my devotions. Look at Ephesians two, verse eight and nine. I've spent most, most of this week in this passage, um, just because I can't move on. Ephesians two, verse eight and nine, and Jay preached on that when we were in the states not too long ago. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, actually. Um, I, love, I love that passage um, back in verse 5. But even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He can't wait to say it, for by grace are you saved. Then verse 8, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not, not of works, so that any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, we're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are designed, we are built, we are made to walk in God's grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. As I've been reflecting in my, in my devotions this week, I, I look back at my life before salvation. And I wasn't especially pernicious. I wasn't especially a wicked man by my behavior. I was lost. I acted like a lost man. I wasn't cruel or mean. I just cared about myself. And that was really it. But one day God's grace appeared to me. I remember it like yesterday. It was the 12th of February, 1974. Can you believe that? 1974? How many people here were alive in 1974? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Caroline. Um, And I, I was going to college thinking about me and myself, and I went to a Bible study for some reason. I have no explanation except the Holy Spirit led me. And the pastor, or the, the teacher at the school who was doing the Bible study was talking about God's love. And I looked across the page and there was a verse that said, um, these things I have, I've written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. And I didn't know it. It said, if you believe in on Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And God's grace reached down and grabbed my heart. And it's God's grace. And those of you who are saved would have similar testimonies of how God's grace reached down to you. How God used somebody to show you his grace. So the grace of God. Now the next word is really cool. Alright? The next word is, how did it come? The grace of God has appeared. That word is a, it's similar to what the word Advent is. It's a word, the word of, the, the grace was, it appeared like a light. And that's what we talk, that's what the Advent candles are, are here for. They're to remind us of the light. Um, it's it's it's, it's the, Greek, the Greek word is, and some of you might, a lot of us who have been around churches would know this word, epiphaneo. Do you recognize that? Anybody recognize the word epiphaneo? What's it mean? Do you know what it means? What, what, what English word do we have from that? <coughs> an epiphany. And an epiphany is, um, it's, it's in a religious sense, it's a sudden leap, it's like a flash of light. An epiphany is when you've got a sudden leap in understanding. All of a sudden, everything becomes clear. 
It all it all becomes it's it's a uh, it has it's especially through ordinary but but striking circumstances. You're going you're going along like I was going along with that college, and on Tuesday afternoon I saw a flyer on the ground and I picked it up, put it in the bin. Talked about a Bible study. I went to the Bible study. The verse was there, and the light came on. If you, if, if those of you who are our teachers know what we call a light bulb moment, can you guess what a light bulb moment is when you're teaching? It's when you're working with that student, and you work and you work and you're trying to get a concept across, and all of a sudden, bing! You see the light go on in their eyes. That's an epiphany, and that's how God's grace appeared to us. And this is a fantastic, it's an amazing picture. Because when did the light come on for the world, according to John 1? When was the light sent into the world? Through what? Through Jesus. All right, the light came into the world, and the world did not comprehend it, because it loved its darkness more than it loved light. And the, the light shines in darkness, and we're called to be the lights of the world. And this whole concept of this epiphany, this appearing, is related to light. And we as Christians should not just see the lights on our trees, and the lights on the candles, and the lights on the houses. Every time we see the light, if our mind is right, it ought to reflect us is that we're remembering the light of Jesus Christ that came into the world and brought us salvation. So the salvation has appeared to all men. The coming of Christ was the ultimate epiphany. Um, so the, the, the grace of God appears, salvation has appeared to all men. And that didn't happen. I mean, every, the prophets looked forward to God's grace. The prophets looked forward to this epiphany. But it was in, it was in John chapter 5, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. Verse Ephesians 5, 14. And that's the verse that says, um, Therefore, he says, God says, Awake from the dead, and Christ arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Our, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because the light, the possibility for the light to come on appeared that day. It changed. We all walked in darkness. Paul talked about that in Ephesians. Before salvation, we all walked in darkness, and then the light came on, and it was all possible because of Jesus coming to earth. There's the, the, now the light shines in darkness. We're told to be shining as lights in this world. This is a time of year. Sure, it's been overly secularized, and sure, it's been overly commercialized, but we don't have to fall victim to that. Here's our great chance to, to, to tell others about what Christ means to us. I mean, you have Christmas conversations, and that's the chance we have. What, why, why is Christmas special to you? Oh my goodness, what an open door. What do you like about Christmas, somebody might ask you. And I could go through a whole list. I like the lights, I like the tree, I like the fun, I like the family. But ultimately, why, why should you and I like Christmas? Because it reminds us that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth to die for us. And that's the ultimate reason why we celebrate, why we have Christmas, because God's salvation came in Christ. It was the grace of God that sent His Son into a sin-cursed world. It was the grace because God knew that that baby in the crib would one day be the Savior of the world. And when that baby was born, the light came on. For the grace of God has appeared, appeared, flash, boom, here it is. What's the last part of the verse say there? Let me see if that's the right place. Look at the last part of verse 11. 
Who has the light appeared to? Can somebody tell me? Simple enough. The end of it, I wish I had the boys in here. To all men. To the whole world. There are folks out there, and if um, I'm not going to fight with them, I'm not going to argue with them, I'm not going to get into a debate, who say that salvation is only available to a handful of people. God only saved a group, a certain group of people. Well, that's true. God saved those who had put their faith in Him. But there, there, there are people who take that so far as they, they say there are certain people in the world who cannot be saved because God didn't choose them to be saved, so they don't have any choice in the matter. They just can't be saved. I look at passages like this, and, and if you differ with me on predestination, that's fine. I'll talk to you about it. Don't get mad at me. I'm not getting mad at you. But I believe the Bible clearly teaches that God offers salvation to every man. There is nobody on the face of the earth who cannot be saved. If anybody was like that, it would have been Paul before salvation. You remember Paul before salvation? From when we started the book of Acts about a year ago? Killer? Slaughterer? very The worst of the worst? I wonder if when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, he would. I wonder if he thought about the day when the grace of God appeared to him to bring salvation. Remember he saw a great light, he was knocked off his horse, and Jesus started talking to him. I wonder if he reflected on that. And if God could save somebody like Paul, God can save anyone. You may have that neighbor or that friend or that family member who you really think are in a hopeless situation. But the grace of God has appeared to all men. Christmas is a celebration for everyone. For the whole world. Nobody nobody is excluded. The angels sang at Luke, Luke chapter 14. They sang what they sang. They said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. God tells us in other places it's not God's will that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not desire for anyone to go to hell. God does not lock them out. God desires that everyone's going to turn to Him. There's a chance for all men to be saved. The opportunity is there. That means that neighbor who that, that neighbor who mocks your faith or that family member who mocks what you believe can be saved because the grace of God has appeared to all men. And He came at first. It came. We'll see in a few minutes how we tie this into what's coming up. But um, there's a chance for everybody to find salvation. And we're the messengers. We're the light that goes out into the world to carry the gospel to others. So the first point is God's gift for salvation. And I'm just going to start with this thing. I'm I'm just going to start here. um, This concept of God also came to bring sanctification. We find that verses 12 and 13. God's, God's grace came to teach us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this age. And we should live looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous of good works. Verse 14 is going to focus on God teaching us the result of salvation and the result of sanctification. Come look at the end result of that. But I just want to start, um, because I have no way I'm going to finish all these today. 
teaching us. So the grace of God has appeared, brings salvation, has appeared to all men, teaching us that, first of all, that we should deny ungodliness. And we'll tie the other one together. Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So the first thing that God, God's grace shows us in a negative sense is that we should live... Um, we should we, we are to deny godly we are to not we are to deny ungodliness to deny worldly lust the literal meaning is here is that we should reject impiety god's people should be holy living people i don't hear the word much anymore but when i first got here and i started to introduce myself and introduce the gospel and pretty soon somebody would say oh you're one of those holiers i haven't heard that in ages have you heard it no i used to hear it all the time though you're one of those holiers and I guess that was a word for you, one of those born-agains. Um, a vague concept back then. There's, fortunately, there's more evangelicals here today. People have more of an understanding of who we are. But, you know, and you say, oh, you're one of those holiers. You don't want to say, well, yeah, I am. But you know what they're saying. And that ought to be our desire. Our desire ought to be that we, God teaches us to deny all kinds of ungodliness. It is a double negative. Now, we don't use double negatives in English very often. But in Greek, they were used all the time. And the reason the Greek used a double negative was for emphasis. He says you are to, um, uh, we, we, we do say in English, deny is kind of a negative word. Deny ungodliness. And there's a strength in that that God is saying, I want you to deny all the ungodliness around you. Do we do that? Do we deny ungodly living in our lives? How pious, and, and, and pious, when you think about pious, you don't think in a, in a positive sense, do you? But pious is what we should be doing. Pious means that we should be living holy lives. We deny the ungodliness that comes into our life. Um, it's, it's, if, if we don't deny ungodliness, we're disregarding the things of God. What does it mean? And how, how, is, how did we understand that concept? The whole idea of ungodliness, and we're going to look at ungodly and worldly lust in just a second here before we close. Ungodly, what the ungodliness that appeals to you might not appeal to me. Ungodliness is anything that goes against God's standard. He says, deny it. The, the word is a strong word. He says, you hate it. You reject it. You totally turn away from ungodliness. And the problem with us is, and the problem that I have is, there are times when I think I can play around with ungodliness. It's okay. I'm not going to do anything really bad. I'm not going to go into deep sin. But the point is, God, we are taught by salvation that we are totally to deny ungodliness in our lives. Don't let ungodliness creep in. Don't let it creep into our thoughts. Don't let it creep into our minds. Don't let it creep into our lives. When we, when we come across ungodliness, we deny it completely. Then he says also to deny worldly lust. Kind of like taking ungodliness a step further. Ungodliness is a way of thinking and a way of responding. Worldly lust is more of a physical aspect of it. We deny the worldly lust. This goes 100 percent contrary to what the world says today, doesn't it? The world says grab everything you can grab. You've only got one life, so you better enjoy it. And people you tell somebody what, what a Christian does and why you live and sometimes they think you're mad. Why would you not do that? Why would you I mean and, and 
people just, I mean, I have loads of friends, and I have loads of, loads of friends who live a lifestyle that is totally subject to their own worldly lust. They do whatever they want to do that's going to gratify themselves. Paul writes here that salvation teaches us that's not what we're meant to do. He says, deny yourself the worldly lust. We tend to think about lust in one way generally today. We tend to think about lust as being a sensual or a sexual thing. But he says, I want you to deny all fleshly lust. If it's something that is there just to gratify you, God says, reject that lust because that's going to control our heart, to control our minds. He says, deny it completely. Don't let that be a part of your life. The world says, go for it. We're told to deny the lust of the world. We're told to deny the lust of the flesh. And this whole concept is the idea. That's what denying denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust, is what sanctification is all about. We choose to set ourselves apart from the way of the world. We say, this is the way of the world. I'm not going to walk in it. I'm going to walk in the way of godliness. I'm going to choose the godly path. Not always easy, is it? Christmas season, people are going to be partying and drinking and carousing and you're going to use Christmas as a celebration, as a chance to celebrate ungodliness. And they're going to use Christmas as a season to celebrate their lust and to gratify their lust. If you're not careful, it lends itself to that, doesn't it? It's all about getting gifts, so I might as well enjoy myself and and just make that part of what my Christmas is. But what does Christmas mean to us? Christmas ought to be a reminder that Jesus came to earth. The grace of God appeared. It brought me salvation. And it teaches me that I need to deny the ungodly and the worldly things of this world. Because God has got so much more in store for us. I can tell you, honestly, before I got saved, I was a typical college student in the American college student in the 70s. I partied. I did basically what I wanted to do. I got drunk most nights during the week. Um, got really drunk on weekends. I partied with the best of them. I was living at what was considered... Um, it, what, we, we prided ourselves that one, one year we were on Playboy Magazine's top ten party schools in the country. And that was great. But you know what? I went to bed at night empty because nothing I was doing was pleasing me. It was good for eternity. So I just kept repeating it. I said, well, the more I enjoy lust, the more I enjoy ungodliness, the more a world I am, surely I'm going to get satisfaction one day. But folks, there's a world out there doing that today. They're seeking something. We're told in the Bible that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And we have the answer because Jesus came, because he was born, because salvation appeared, because we've seen the light, and because we have the light. We need to be willing to spend our lives walking away from ungodliness. That doesn't mean we hate our friends. It doesn't mean we reject our friends or don't spend time with our lost friends. But it means that we don't follow their way of life. We don't submit to the things that are so thrilling to them. We don't have, no, but God, I'm a Christian. I don't. No. We quietly, calmly set an example of godly living before people. And that's the, that's the, so, and then, so next week, we'll pick up next week more on the rest of the passage and give some specific instructions. Um, so let's remember, let's remember in our Christmas season 
The grace of God, that's what Christmas is all about, has appeared. It brought salvation. And salvation teaches us, one thing that teaches us is to separate ourselves from the world. Father, I thank you for this um, passage this morning. Thank you for your word. And I pray now, Lord, that we'd be faithful to you. Um, we'd be faithful in living our lives for you, denying ungodliness, denying lust, and being a light to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.